Welcome to Women Waken, a podcast that helps you heal spiritually from trauma in relationships, childhood, and early life conditioning to shift from a place of codependency to a state of divine feminine love, acceptance, harmony, and abundance. On Women Waken, we begin the journey to waken from the illusion of needing to prove our worth into the divine experience of knowing our worth. I'm your host, Whitney Walker. I'm a licensed mental health therapist, and I specialize in substance abuse, addiction, eating disorders, trauma, and spirituality. I'm also a fellow human being who has faced most of the issues that I explore on this show. On today's guest episode, I welcome the lovely Carrie Jarislow. Carrie is an international best-selling author of the book, Why Do They Always Break Up With Me?, She is a relationship diversity advocate, a speaker, and intuitive. On this episode, Carrie and I explore concepts around relationships. Some of the messages that we've received about how relationships are supposed to look versus how we can learn and accept who we are and be able to be more authentic in our relationships for greater fulfillment and to be able to learn tools to relate consciously to ourselves and others. So take a listen and enjoy. Hi, Carrie. Welcome to the Women Waken podcast. Thank you, Whitney. Thank you for having me. So excited to be here. So excited to have you on my show, Carrie. I had a fabulous time being a guest on your podcast, which was so much fun. Can you tell us a little bit about the podcast that you have? Sure. My podcast is called Relationship Diversity Podcast. And in that podcast, I love to explore all things about relationship structure diversity. And my main message is that we are unique and the people we are in relationships are unique. And therefore, a unique individual plus a unique individual equals a unique relationship. When we try to pigeonhole ourselves into what we've been told is a good or successful relationship, many times we'll feel trapped. And relationship diversity frees us to say, what, who am I and what do I really want in my relationships? And so it gives us the freedom to design the relationship that's most aligned with who we are. And such a, a important message to have, especially at this time, because how we look at relationships and engage in them is changing. Yeah. There's always been diversity. I think it just wasn't spoken as much of, right? I, the word swingers comes to mind as far back as like, I mean, if we go way far back, like we have been all over the place with relationships, sexuality, all that stuff, but it was never um, really defined or always open, right? Mm-hmm. In the past. And especially if you go back to more like modern civilization, if you will, since you know the 1900s, it, it's been more and more ingrained about this is what being in relationship means, what it looks like. These are the parameters. This is what's normal. This is what you should do. And again, for all these decades, for all this time, people have gone under the radar to do what actually feels good to them, what feels true for them. And more and more now, the beautiful thing is that people are saying, well, why can't we just be open about this? Why can't we admit that there's no right way to relationship, that there needs to be diversity. Yeah, there is a beautiful awakening happening. And I think that it's also tied to, you know, our consciousness awakening is is just this, this beautiful blossoming of living an authentic life and what that means. And that takes a lot of courage to question everything that we have been told all of the programming that comes through movies, television, um, you know, all the relationships around us. It takes a lot of courage to question, is that really what I think? Because it may be. And that's the beautiful thing. It may be, but it also may not be. And I do think that these things have been happening for for the entire history. And in modern society, Unfortunately, a lot of people have had to hide it and go in the shadows to really experience 
their authentic self in relationship. They're shamed by it being the wrong way or bad. And there is so much that is unknown when we don't understand a lifestyle. We don't understand it. We make a whole bunch of assumptions. And so what I love seeing is this kind of unfolding that's happening specifically in relationship diversity that is coming into the light. Yes, absolutely. And I won't go too far down this rabbit hole, but Carrie, you and I were talking a little bit about some of the more esoteric stuff around the nature of consciousness, reality, existence, all these things that as those of us who are kind of on this escalating spiritual journey, we're starting to see that maybe, you know, reality itself, life itself isn't quite how we thought it was and that there's more dimensions to it, that there's more, you know, accessibility to a different experience. Right. But the same sort of thing is that we are scared in a lot of ways to see things and consider that things could be different than how we've been told or how we've experienced them. Cause it's change can be scary. Most people do not. Yeah. like change. <laughs> I know we are not wired for change. Yeah. Um, and yet evolution is, I think, um, inevitable. I think when we try to hold on to something because of the fear of change, it creates a lot of resistance in our mind, body, spirit. And um, that results, I'm saying in relationships specifically, it results in affairs, hiding, things that are you know, not in the highest good for ourselves or the people we're in relationship, the people we care about, but it's that resistance to change and evolution. I think that was one of kind of my biggest growth moments was to embrace evolution, embrace my personal evolution, embrace and just accept that things shift and and evolve and change, that that is just normal. And it's like going on a roller coaster and the roller coaster moving and you're holding on and bracing. You finish that ride and you're just like, oh my God, my whole body's sore. I feel sick. But it's the release into it and the journey of this evolution and just the like release into the knowledge that that is life. Life shifts and changes. And that kind of, that, that changed everything for me. Yes, definitely. And Carrie, we also sp- spoke about how a few books in our life have been very pivotal and impactful. And one of them is the book Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh. And in that it says, he states that there are multiple words that are synonymous with God or life. And one of them is change, and which mm. is a powerful statement that life is change which means Mm. that it is inherent to life. There is no life without change. That's what life is ever evolving. And again, not to get too off into that path, but the idea that we are not, we are, you know, life itself, the universe, the idea of source is always growing and evolving and changing. Otherwise it would no longer be life. It would end life and life can't end. So we literally have to change. And so then if we refuse to change, then we're just sort of cycling and we're still changing, but not in a, you know, in a, evolutionary way in terms of we're just going to stay with, you know, the discomfort of trying to avoid it, but we're going to slowly be forced into it because there's no way to not do it. But you're right in that embracing change is so challenging. We want to kind of hold on to what keeps structure in our life, right? Where Mm -hmm. we say, well, this is the way it is that life is this, you know, a higher source is this relationships are this. Thank you. End of story. Now I know how to live my life. We want to be, Mm -hmm. a lot of us want to be told what to do. And I think that plays a lot into relationships and I, you know, not to criticize any way that anybody does it, but I feel like I've seen a lot of people in my life who have chosen the standard path because they did not know how else to proceed. Yes. That is the whole inspiration of my podcast is to just show that there are options, there are choices and when we, I end all of my podcasts with stay curious because sitting in that space of curiosity um, creates a place to question with um, inquisitiveness. And when we go into our lives with inquisitiveness, you know, it, it brings a little bit more play to it instead of fear. There's going to be fear. <laughs> 
for sure. <laughs> um, but I think about, you know, I'm 53 years old. So I think about if I were to have stayed the same in my 20s, um, I would be in a very different place. And I think that I would not feel as fulfilled and happy and joyous. Um, and people ask me, you know, people say a lot of the times, like, you don't look 53. And I say, well, it's just because... I was just thinking, you do not. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, part of it is genetic, but really I attribute that to, to living in my passion, to being unapologetic and saying my joy is not in this really like I worked for um, a show called Blue Man Group for 12 years. That's it was amazing. very, it was amazing. And it was really steady. And I had a steady paycheck going in. And for everyone's outside eyes, it was like, why would you ever leave that job is the best job, but I evolved out of it. And I wanted to look at different interests and explore. So I went into the healing arts. And that was like, again, bringing my joy into my life. My joy wasn't at that job as great as it looked to everyone outside. And I had a steady paycheck and health insurance and all of that. I noticed that I wasn't living in joy. And luckily I was very encouraged as a child to follow my passions and to make those decisions as scary as they are to go towards my passions instead of staying in something that wasn't bringing me joy. Yeah, definitely. And if only more people could be open to that. And I think that that's one of the greatest, greatest tragedies for humankind is that we have these such strong beliefs that we have to do certain things that mm -hmm. we can't live on uh, unapologetically and say, you know what? I don't really want this job anymore. And I want to recreate my life and do it totally differently. A lot of people do more and more, and it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yet many more do not right? Many people still live very beholden to what they think they have to do, which unfortunately has very little to do with joy. You spoke of, mm -hmm. you look beautiful and gorgeous and radiant at your age, which 53 isn't even old. Like, let's be real. Like that's very young no. scheme of <laughs> yeah. things nowadays. Uh, you know, it's just anyways. Um, and, but people don't think about joy. They don't think about, well, what, if you, cause I'm a therapist, right? So when I talk to people about what's most important in your life, what do you focus on? Well, I have to, you know, make sure I have my finances in order. I have to make sure that I, you know, take care of my family that I, you know, I have to make sure I'm healthy and joy is nowhere on mm. that list. And it's kind of mind boggling that, cause I, I personally believe that the whole purpose we're here is for joy. That's why our, mm -hmm. our, our soul came again, a great excerpt from conversations with God is that this experience of joy is literally your soul. That's your yeah. soul kind of shining through you being like, yes, I'm being expressed now. I'm not in the background. I mean, when you experience joy, it's literally that emphasis of your soul, universal energy coming through, but we don't do it. And people will say that it's selfish, right? Which kind of ties mm -hmm. back into the relationship thing is that a lot of you know, sort of alternative views of dating, people say, well, that's just greedy. That's just selfish. That's not, you know, people only do those alternative ways of dating when they can't just be traditional and be with just one person or whatever it is, right? The more standard dating route. And those to me are, I don't want to discount anyone's feelings or beliefs, but I'm curious about what's keeping those people from looking at other ways of doing things and looking at, well, why can't joy be a priority? Why can't we live life for joy rather than kind of live as martyrs who feel like we have to always be sacrificial in yeah. the way we live our lives? There is so much programming uh, of life is a struggle. Life is hard. I grew up as much as my mother honored what I wanted to do and, and encouraged it, her motto was life is hard, not motto, but one of her really fundamental beliefs. She said it a lot. Life is hard. I'm so sorry. It's so challenging for you. And people have all of those kind of beliefs. I, everyone is unique. So you have to look at what are the beliefs that you grew up with that you have, 
And a lot of that has to do with struggle. And to be on a moving train going, you know, 100 miles per hour down the life is a struggle belief system, to stop that and change tracks takes a lot of self-awareness, a lot of courage, help from maybe a coach or something, because I needed that in the times where I was really looking at these beliefs. And every day I am questioning if the belief I have is true, is that a belief I want to put energy towards? Or is that a belief that I learned growing up or through whatever music, TV, movies? Is that serving me? Do I want to shift that? And sometimes I'm able to make that track change like the train. And sometimes it takes longer. You know, money is a great, like we think about our, our programming about money and relationships. And, you know, I work with clients all the time who have really ingrained relationship beliefs. And so a lot of those beliefs keep us safe. And so we don't want to poo-poo them. We don't want to say we're bad for doing that. We want to honor our history and question it. And maybe there's a belief about struggle that's serving us and we're not ready to let it go. You know, maybe people look at their life in a certain field or in a certain job and it works for them. But it, without the question, it's like the idea of default monogamy or intentional monogamy. Okay. People who choose monogamy, there are a lot of people that that structure really works for. They think about it. It's intentional. It's like, okay, I've thought about what I'm really needing with my history and monogamy is it. There's nothing wrong with that. What I think is a little bit more, I'm not going to say problematic, but something that will keep someone stuck is default monogamy you know, default of like, this is just what I do because it's what I was told. And that's like that with any belief system, money, job, anything. I'm doing it because that's just like, I just learned I'm supposed to go to school, go to college, get a stable job, put money away, buy a house. Like this is what I'm supposed to do. So to interrupt the default and question is like a great starting place. Absolutely. And it's so important for any structure or set of beliefs in our world is to Mm -hmm. question it and explore it and say, just as you said, is that true? Mm -hmm. I just did a solo episode titled that. Is it to ask the, you know, encouraging people to ask yourself that question throughout your day? Because we make a lot of Mm -hmm. statements, right? Like, oh, well, they didn't like me or, oh, well, this isn't going to work out. Well, I always do this. And to check in and be like, oh, wait a minute. Is that true? Mm-hmm. And then we do that with our lives, right? Well, I have to get married by the time I'm 30. Well, is that true? Do you have to? Is there, right. is there something like, is there like a big gate that's going to fall down in front of your life if you, you don't get married? And, you know, you spoke to something interesting, Carrie, you said that maybe we find um, in the struggle, we find sort of purpose, maybe what you said are along those lines. And I think that that's true because the two fundamental questions or inquiries that are most pivotal to this life is to ask, who am I and why am I here? Yet those are the two questions that we try to bury because it seems too scary to ask. So we fill it by not asking those questions. We ask other questions. Well, what am I doing? How am I? Okay. Well, if I'm struggling, then it feels like something. And I think Mm -hmm. we almost become addicted to that where If we had nothing to worry about and we didn't object to anything that happened in our lives, if we didn't have to struggle through something, we'd be left just to to ponder, why am I here? Who am I? What do I want to do with this life? But if you get some challenges in your, it's like, oh, well, I'm just so busy with this and I just am in this struggle. And so I can't even, I just have to put one foot in the front of the other. And that's where that statement came from, right? Which is life is hard. Life is just so hard. I'm so tired all the time. I have no time to think about joy. I'm just so, but why do we live this way is the question. Yeah, I I love Dr. Joe Dispenza's work in this field of why it's easier to just go to the default of it's just hard and that's just what I know. 
he looks at it more from a neuroscience perspective, which is way more scientific than I am. (laughs) But I think we just get comfortable in the discomfort. Yes. And we are also programmed to believe our life is better and more worthy with the amount of struggle that we've had. Yeah. You know, like if I, 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 I don't deserve a lot of money unless I work really hard programming, programming, Mm -hmm. and it's not serving anyone. It's making us more stressed out, more exhausted, less fulfilled and less happy. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And especially that one with working, that's been a big theme for me this year because I have my own private practice and it just kind of dropped off this year. I just found that I had, you know, clients that were wrapping up and not as many clients coming in. And I had that panic of, oh my gosh, I have to get my clients back. I have to do this. And I asked that question, like, well, is that true? Like, yes, it's, Mm -hmm. it's preferable to be getting enough income that I'm not, you know, feeling challenged or insecure in that way. But then I asked like, well, if you have enough to get by, like, is that not okay for right now? Like who knows what the future might hold? Maybe there's new employment opportunities, new jobs, new sources of income, but is it worth it to fret right now? If it feels like something is shifting and maybe there's a purpose for that shift, right? Because again, the, the human nature is to say, oh my gosh, I, I can't, my income can't drop. But I thought, well, maybe I meant to have my time open for different pursuits right now, because Mm -hmm. if you don't release what is, you can't be available to what's coming in. And that's also been kind of my mantra this year is try to just trust that even though what you've known is leaving and it feels scary, maybe it's allowing you to invite something new, to be available to new opportunities, experiences, but it takes that courage to let go of (laughs) the standard security that we've come to rely on. It takes an abundant amount of trust to let go. Um, I just went through what I'm calling a rite of passage experience with my mom passing. And um, it happened very quickly. And I've been through grief before, grief of people who are very close to me, my stepbrother, my first husband. Yet the loss of a mother is very... Um, very different. And what I did was um, I just, I actually, I have a podcast episode coming out that I'm talking about this very thing. I pulled back from everything, the things that I've been building for years, because I know, I knew I needed space to process. And that was very scary for me because I would have just pushed through you know, if like maybe three years ago, if this would have happened, I would have just pushed through. That's my default. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep pushing until I burn out. But instead I was like, you know what, this time I'm just going to trust and I'm going to pull back, choose my priorities. And you're right. Some beautiful things have opened up that maybe might not have opened up before. Um, and I feel so much more peaceful about it. Um, so in the space that I have opened up while releasing certain things, I have given myself the space to grieve and to process and to allow. And I feel, like I said, just such a much more level of peace from that choice. And it was scary. It was freaking terrifying. Yeah. It can be when we, again, release the the safety bar, right? Of, okay, I have this to hold on to. I have this in place. And then, but then life comes in, right? The loss of a parent is a truly spiritual crux. It's a really pivotal point. It's, it challenges our notion of, you know, okay, how do I reconcile this, this sense of loss with the sense of connection with somebody in a spiritual way? And we, you know, those events deserve time, and we do not allot that time the way that we live now. Because again, just like with joy, we say, uh, you got emotions going on. You got to grieve. Okay, I, I'll give you a, a few days, you know, yes. okay, get get over it, wrap it up. Rather than, I mean, some cultures will take weeks to celebrate the life of someone who passes on and to allow people to come together and share in the celebration of them and the grief of their loss. 
we don't hold any space for that. We hold it, you know, an hour long memorial uh, that people, you know, have to go back to work after just that sort of mentality is so ingrained in our culture. Now this grinding culture of profit and, and means at every cost that that's our value is what we're doing, 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 how we're keeping ourselves busy, how we're just like you said, if you're not working your ass off, then, you know, you don't deserve to have money and means like you need to work so, so hard to earn a living. Yeah. And yeah. And grief falls right in that. uh, Those other things that we were talking about, grief is unpredictable. Grief is unknown. Grief is deep and scary to feel deep emotions. But when we don't let ourselves grieve, we hold on to the sadness and we stuff it down. It stays in our body. It stays in our mind. It stays in our mind, body, and our cells. And um, the movement, the, the process of grieving, allowing, and, you know, sinking into the unpredictable of it um, is terrifying, but also really rewarding. <laughs> you know? It is. It is. Absolutely. And, you know, I wish we made more space for, for those experiences. And it's always so interesting to me, Carrie, that, you know, when I look around the world and the way we do things, we created all this. We made up this story that this is how life is. And this is how we're supposed to handle things. And this is what we're supposed to prioritize and deprioritize. And this is how we live. Because as you described that, you know, kind of as I was speaking to earlier, you know, we, if we wanted to, we could put feelings and emotions at the forefront and allow ourselves to, to put having those feelings as the most important thing. Because the truth is, again, going back to the books we've spoken of, we are here to, for our soul's experience. So when we have emotions, again, from that book, uh, conversations with God, it states, and not that that book is gospel, but it just inspired a lot of ideas. Sounds like for both of us that really rang true for me, more true than other concepts I've heard about life and such, mm-hmm. but that our feelings are literally this, the, our, our words of our soul. It's our soul speaking to us. So what could be more important than that? Because you, we have to envision that our life does not have to look this way. And I want to tie this into relationships because it's the same thing. What if our priority was to just experience emotions and feelings and everything else? We we worked the minimal amount to be able to live the life, but just to embrace feelings, experiences, joy. But we we have it almost upside down in this world where we stuff <laughs> down the very thing that we're here to do and to experience, which is to mm-hmm. feel the because sorry, not to get too out there, but our soul, when it's in, you know, totality, right. We're all one, we're all connected. It doesn't know about grief. It came here to experience the exquisite nature of grief because to us, it feels painful, but it's also just an exquisite expression of feelings. You feel grief because you love something so deeply. Mm-hmm. I did an episode about grief with this beautiful woman. And she spoke to that. She said, Grief never ends because love never ends. Mm. When we lose a parent, when we lose a loved one, we'll never be fully rid of grief. And we're not meant to. It's because we still love them. And grief and love go hand in hand. Grief is the experience of love that feels not not quite there. It is Mm -hmm. there. It's always there. But in the physical realm, that person isn't with us. So I don't know. It just, it makes me think about, I just think that we're really ready for a shift in the way we live. I think it's becoming more and more apparent and we can't stuff it down anymore because we're seeing such excruciating repercussions of the way we live, of stifling those emotions. What we have the most of in this world is suffering, depression, anxiety, addiction, diseases, loneliness, suicide, murder. These are not natural things. To me, these are a result of living in an unnatural way and not allowing space for our emotions is very unnatural. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am a very emotional person. I am an empath. So I, I feel like when I do intuitive readings, I, I feel, I can feel what people are going through. And when I was a director, that's how I would direct as well as through feelings um, and through kind of uh, entraining my energy or my 
my emotions with that of the character to understand kind of the arc that they go through. There are people who process mentally. Um, my husband is that way. He he processes in his head. And I think that there's like, you know, there's people that process in different ways. And I don't know how that works, you know, with them. And he is just, he's like a star seed. He comes from, you know, like a star system and understands science in a way that I could never do it. And I think that we are together. We balance each other a lot. You know, I bring up the emotion. He also helps me mentally kind of ground. And so I think it's like coming together of knowing who you are, really knowing who you are, going on that adventure inward and understanding yourself and then understanding how you process through things and allowing your unique self to process in the unique way that you do. Absolutely. And that ties right in, Carrie, to your work in relationship diversity. Can, so can you speak to that? Because you sort of use that as the key. It sounds like when you start working with people, which is, well, what are you really, you know, wanting in your life? What's, what feels most authentic to you? Because again, as we've been speaking to most people will not explore that inquiry. Most people will yeah. not say, well, what do I really want? Yeah. Because we are not taught that that is valid to ask ourselves what we really want. It's better to, um, I'm at least like how I was raised is, is like, make sure everyone else is okay before I do what I want. It's been a real uncovering. So I think actually a huge part of the work of relationship diversity and asking what do you want is uncovering, is a big like healing work, you know, healing, asking the questions. Why do you have that belief? Is that something that you learned? growing up, do you feel aligned with that? And so this is why, you know, in my coaching, I actually do reprogramming, subconscious reprogramming work because I went through a lot of pain in relationships, a lot of pain from my parents' divorce up until my divorce. And I did a lot of talk therapy it just, it was like I made shifts, but it just didn't feel like it was getting to the like deepest nooks and crannies of my psyche. And I did this energetic um, work called Theta Healing. And within three months, it was like, it is all about um, belief reprogramming on the subconscious level and it's energetic. And that was where things shifted. I started to see my life very differently. I started to question all of the beliefs and I had to learn how to do it because it was just like, whoa, three months, three months and my life is totally different and I've healed my relationship for the most part with my father and I, the men I'm calling in are very different than the men before and this is, I need to understand why this is happening. And so- it's not because because if people haven't done that inner work, if you ask them, what do you want? They'll say, I don't know. I want a, someone who makes a good living and who will create safety and security for me. So like that's just for example, like that's what I wanted. I thought I wanted, you know, maybe my husband to make the money. And so I could kind of float and do what I love to do. But what I actually found through work just in the past year was that, no, I, I love a sense of autonomy with my money space, with my life. I also love the joining together with my husband. So how can I create a space where both of those things are? That's the idea of designing what works for you. The programming would say, my husband needs to support me. He needs to make the money. Or... Even another wounded programming is, you know what? I'm fighting against that. I'm going to make all the money and I'm going to be the one in control. So really like kicking all those things apart, doing some reprogramming and then saying, no, actually what I want is both. 
And I can have both as long as I can communicate that. Yes. Yes. Because if we don't speak it and state that that's what we're needing, then it can never happen. Mm -hmm. And, but you know, again, people shy away from this because what you just described sounds like it took a bit of work, right? That it maybe wasn't very comfortable. (laughs) It's totally, yes, it's totally uncomfortable. And, you know, I've been, I had kind of my, what I call spiritual awakening or just this awareness that I was more than just my body at 23 years old. So we're talking 30 years ago. I have gone in and out of reading different books, working with different people. And still I'm working with someone tomorrow. Like still there's times where it's like, you know what? I can do a lot of work on my own. And there are just moments where I need to get some outside perspective. I care about myself and I love myself enough to do that work. And I also see, because I have two children, that the times that I do my own inner work and heal is less I'm going to be passing down to my children that they will need to heal. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And that's a part of our journey is this processing and healing. And it's always leading us towards, as we spoke of change and evolution, which is Mm -hmm. so pivotal. So Carrie, let's again, tie this back into when you work with others, what do you see the most of? Because people, I imagine anyone who reaches out to you is curious about a new kind of experience in relations with others. I imagine it's a focus on romantic relationships, but what is their number one, or it doesn't be number one, but some of the top reasons that they reach out to you, what are they experiencing? Is it that relationships don't work for them? Like they've never been able to have one. Is it that they're dissatisfied in their relationship? Yeah. A lot of people get to a tipping point where they have probably gone through a breakup or are close to a breakup and they just feel hopeless that they can't seem to make relationships work. I hear that a lot. Like, I just am not good at relationships. I don't understand them. I just seem to either have ones that are very short lived or get into ones where I don't feel seen or heard or acknowledged. I feel like there's more, but I don't know what that is. So those are a lot of the things that I hear. And again, a lot of that has to do with deep programs about self-worth. I'm not worthy. I'm not enough. I should just take what I can get. Who am I to want everything? Who am I to want my dream relationship? Is that even really possible? And so we work on that belief level from the beginning. And so I work. I have one program that I do and I only work with one to two clients at a time. And it is an eight week, one-to-one reprogramming intensive. So we work weekly for eight weeks and they also have me through, you know, texts um, a certain amount per week, but we are going into it. And I hold the space for them to question. And sometimes I challenge some of the things that that they say to me and really ask them, is that really what you think? Where do you think that might've come from? And then we do that subconscious reprogramming that I work with them on. And I like working in this way because I think when you are focused and you say yes, and you're like, I'm going in it, It is really easy to do a session and then maybe, I don't know, eight weeks later, come in and do another session. And there is something, it's just like going to a retreat, right? If you go to a retreat, you go away, you pull away from your whole life, you go three days into something and you go deep into it. That's kind of what this eight week reprogramming intensive looks like. Wow. And how often do you do those? Not very often. Um, I, like I said, I only will work with one, possibly two clients at once. Um, and then people have an option after those eight weeks, once they have maybe a four to four week break to come up with what I call a monthly maintenance. We do one session a month and then we are kind of in this like, um, text support, text support, um, 
But I also have to really check in with myself because I'm holding such safe space for people that I may do a four, I may do one eight week session and then say, I want four weeks off, you know? So I'm really checking in with myself because I really care about the people that I work with. And I only take people who are ready to do this work, who come to me and say like, I, I can't make relationships work. I I've gone through the last breakup. I may never trust again. I may never be able to go into a relationship again. That's exactly the person that's like, I'm ready to do something. Yes. Now, Carrie, I don't know if there is a straight answer for this, but it just, you know, I, I get curious about when you work with somebody and they're doing this deeper work, the deprogramming, all of that, do they tend to realize that they want a completely different relationship than what they had? Or is it more of just like a gentle shift? Like if somebody came to you who'd been predominantly monogamous, are they likely still going to want to be monogamous? Or do you have people that often do a whole 180 where it's like, wow, I don't even want to do, I would love actually rather be open to different love situations. Or do you find that people tend to stick with what they were kind of already aligned with? So I say yes and yes, both. (laughs) (laughs) Both, because it's just, you know, sometimes people go through that work and they are more grounded in like, I want monogamy because I have never felt safe. And this is, this is where I feel like I will feel safe Mm -hmm. in this kind of relationship. I've never felt like someone has chosen me intentionally and passionately. And I want that. And I want to give that back. But then there's also people that like, you know what? I actually feel like for the first time, I feel like someone is saying it's okay for me to feel love, passionate love for more than one person. And that's okay. Like then that's like a big awakening. So yes. And yes, both. Now, Carrie, are you open to sharing a bit about your personal practices in terms of relationships? Sure. Yeah. I, I've kind of run the gamut of relationship diversity. Um, First, I talk about solo Amory, which is the choice to be single. I had that um, after my divorce um, for probably four to six months. That was like, I want to do the work on myself. I want to focus on my friendships. I want to focus on my family. I don't want to be in relationship. And so that's where solo Amory came into my life. I also practiced solo Amory when I didn't want to, when I wanted a relationship. And that's what I call like the wounded expression of solo Amory. But then there was the healed expression of solo Amory. I have experienced a lot of monogamy um, with my first husband and um, with my second husband. And those were good experiences. And really what I needed, I've done a podcast episode about kind of my timeline where I go through my whole timeline and I look at what my needs and desires were and what like what I was needing in that time in my life. When I hooked up with my first husband, I had that feeling of like, I want someone to really want me. And he wanted me. And he was, we had such a deep friendship. It was very healing for me. But then when I got divorced, there was a rebelliousness. There was a rebelliousness within me that said, I need to figure out my relationship with my dad and I need to come to a state of understanding. And now having been through a marriage, I understand my father on a whole new level. So I got in a relationship with a man who had cheated on his wife for most of their marriage and was in his own spiritual awakening going through a divorce. And I said to him, I don't want to be in a monogamous relationship. I don't want lying. I would much rather stay open to other experiences as long as we're honest. For me, the priority at that time in my life was a reclamation of what happened with my parents, a different way to do it, and honesty. That was what was like I needed. And we had an open relationship. Um, I would call it an open relationship because we had other sexual experiences with other people. But at the end of the day, we came home and we lived in the same house. And that was an 18 month relationship. And then I met my current husband and we, you know, being our second marriage, we were, we're, we're kind of rule 
busters and we like to just challenge the societal norms. And we hooked up saying like, we want to just do things our way. And we want to have the courage to do that. And that was one of our agreements. Do you agree to question things throughout our whole relationship and stretch? And we both said yes. And we went right into monogamy. And we went right into having children. And that was really important to us. It was really important to create a very safe, secure family environment. And we did that all the way up until the kids were in school. And at that point, we started talking about, well, what do we want to do? Do we want to do we want to stay in this? Is this working for us? And we both kind of got to the place of, I think we want to explore. And then a man walked into my life that I was not expecting and kind of rocked my world. And what was such a reclamation was I didn't have to hide my feelings. I didn't have to keep them down. Once I understood them, I went to him, my husband, and went to him and talked to him before I did anything with this other guy. And after many conversations, we started to talk about it. And I started this relationship with this other man. This has been three years. And um, my husband also has met someone who he really, really likes to spend time with. And we're all kind of navigating this, you know, all the times we keep pushing, like we keep pushing, we come to homeostasis. We keep pushing, we come to homeostasis. But I think overall, it's incredibly fulfilling and really serving us in where we are in our life right now. Amazing. Now, Carrie, I'm going to ask you a few questions that I feel those of us who aren't very experienced in non-monogamy or haven't, or can't, I mean, I'm more, what'd you call it when someone chooses single them? In, oh, um, solo amory. Solo amory. Yeah. I'm in that zone a little bit. I mm -hmm. mean, if someone came along, I would be stoked. That was a good match. However, I've chosen that I won't be within anything other than a really beautiful, harmonious match. Right. So that's a bit mm -hmm. of solo amory, right. Where you're like, yes, I'm not going to definitely in a relation just for the sake of being in relation with somebody. It needs to be someone where we're, we both bring enhancement to one another's lives. Definitely. And that's intentional solo amory. And there's a lot of stigma around that too. Oh yeah. <laughs> Cause you're yeah. not supposed to be <laughs> over. I mean, really now sometimes they even hear like, if you're over 25 and single, people are like red flag, what's wrong with you? I'm like, good grief. I'm 37, almost 38. And, and I'm not saying that I don't have some red flags to me, but it, you know, it doesn't mean that I don't have a loving relationship in my future. I know that I do. And also, I, I mean, Yes, I have some red flags, but also part of the reason I'm single is because I've worked so much on myself and I've been in the process of healing. And just as you said, doing that deeper dive. So I still have my things, but you know, I feel much more evolved than I was say 10 years ago. Whereas if I had gotten into a serious relationship 10 years ago and maybe gotten married, made it long-term, I don't know how that would have impacted my growth and where I would have been emotionally reactively. I don't know that I would have done as well. And so that's something I hope for more of in the future is that people open themselves to the idea that getting into a relationship later in life is not a sign of being, you know, not good enough of being the, you know, what do they call them now? They call it like a, um, the discards or, you know, the leftovers, oh. the leftovers. Oh my God. That's, that's bleh. Yeah. Um, so, and I find more and more women, like a lot of the women that I find on my podcast who are midlife and, you know, sort of also came into a more spiritual career later in life, came into their most meaningful relationships into their forties, into their fifties and are so happy and so yes. content. So when we can shift that stigma, I think that we will open ourselves to, to the possibility of having a more successful relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So back to questions that I think people might want to hear. Mm -hmm. You describe that you and your husband met and you both had the same intentions and focus at that time, which was let's be monogamous, devoted to each other. Let's build that great foundation to have these kids have a family. And then your interests developed and shifted and changed as they do. But I think a lot of people would ask, well, when you started that relationship, did that change how your relationship with your husband did that? 
create a distance between you? Did that change your dynamic in any way? In yeah. Different ways? Well, yes. Yes. Because I don't think that you can introduce another relationship without changing dynamics. And I really feel overall, it has really served us because I believe, and I look at relationships as reflections of what kind of what's going on with me, right? When I get triggered, it teaches me things that are unhealed within me or, or, or just parts about myself and having another person uh, reflect things back to me. Um, one gives me the awareness that, oh, it's not my husband. It's me. Oh, I got to look at deeper at me. But also I am learning so much about myself in that other relationship that is really serving every relationship and specifically the one with my husband. So for example, when I was growing up and my parents were getting divorced, I would shut myself in my room and listen to music. I would disconnect. I didn't know how to deal with my emotions. Well, fast forward 40 years, and I realized that that's how I deal with stress is to disconnect. Well, my other partner brought that to my attention. And then I got to really look at that. And so now if something comes up with my husband, I can say to myself, am I disconnecting? Am I trying to feel safe? And I can choose differently. And that is really serving our relationship because, you know, relationships, I mean, my husband, and I've been together almost 20 years. So it's like things evolve and patterns and habits come in. And it's almost like a habit disrupt disruptor because it, it, it creates more intentionality with my husband and I. So are there times where things are challenging with my husband? Yeah, but that would be whether I was in this other relationship or not. So yes, it has shifted it, but I believe overall um, in a really good way. And I still feel completely certain that he is my life partner. My husband is my life partner and we are raising this beautiful family and we have incredible kids that we, you know, I call like heart eye emoji over just like, wow, amazing conscious, aware, emotional, emotionally intelligent children. And we do it really well together. And our time with our other people is kind of like self-care. We talk about it as self-care. It's because we're so busy. So we like go for 24 hours and we just have self-care where we disconnect. We just like kind of be ourselves and rest and recuperate and enjoy the company. This is just how we do it. People do it in all different kinds of ways. So that's kind of a long answer to it. No, it's perfect. It's perfect. Thank you so much, Carrie, in general, for sharing your personal experience, because I think that's so valuable and illuminating for a lot of people who, again, are just maybe not very familiar with or can really comprehend how these things can work. Now, what's interesting about what you said is that it makes me think about when you and your husband decided to explore different relationships, it sounded like that was almost an a, evolutionary step in your relationship. Your relationship was right. developing, which is different than what I think most people think is that when people decide that they want to see other people, it's a devolving of a relationship. It's falling apart. Right? right. And I will say, and I'm glad you brought that up because I have seen that if there are problems in a relationship and you think that opening up your relationship is going to solve that, that is not the case. Usually those relationships break up. It highlights what is not working. It's just like having a baby to save a relationship, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, this is going to help us. No, it brings up every little thing that is unhealed, unhealed within you. But here's the thing is like, where are your priorities for us, for my husband and I, our priorities are self-evolution and growth and healing. That's our biggest priority. And so that's what this does is it will go, it will put you deep in your shit and we are both committed to doing our inner work. That is what drew me to him. And that is, has been our relationship the entire time. Does it mean that there aren't times that things just feel gross and yucky? Yes, of course that would happen anyway. <laughs> that would happen whether there were other relationships or not. And I talk about in my podcast, this idea of the wounded 
expression of a relationship structure and the healed expression because someone can go very you know easily like a breakup of relationship and say like oh it's polyamory's fault but it is never that that is such a surface you know response to why a relationship might not work out absolutely well because i, I think because what, what came to mind when you were saying that is that not every couple can pursue polyamory together. It -hmm. wouldn't, it won't work for everybody. And Mm -hmm. I think that it, I think it is true for some people that, cause again, what I thought of is you hear a lot like in movies and such that, you know, yeah, I started seeing someone else because we grew apart. We just grew apart. And I, I, I fell out of love with that person. And I think that that's real. I don't think we're meant to be soul partners with everybody. That's my belief. Some people believe that you can be soulmates with every person you meet. I don't personally hold that belief. I think that sometimes in life, we meet a soul partner where we feel what I'm getting the sense you have with your husband, which is, I want to go through this with you. I, we both feel aligned with being on sort of this bigger soul evolutionary journey. And -hmm. I want to do it with you, but I also don't want to deny feelings I'm having things, curiosities I have joys that I want to experience. So can we openly do that together? And again, that's not to discount people who don't go there with their partner. I do think that there are very powerful partnerships that are monogamous where they are going through this without, but it doesn't make one or the other more or less or better or worse. It's just your personal journey and whether or not you found someone who's wanting and willing to do that with you. Right. And there is so much, there's like you, there's so much in between monogamy and polyamory. That's what I t- talk about is the in-between. It's like, you don't have to say like, we're monogamous and I want to be polyamorous. I'm either going to be polyamorous or nothing. There's so much, this this like beautiful space within to explore. And that's why I, I'm collaborating with this project called The Bonding Project. And I love this project. I feel very aligned with it because they look at how do we like to bond and they break it down. They actually have a test. You can go on bondingproject.com and take their test to learn. Do you like to bond one-to-one, one-to-many, many-to-many or solo? And let's break it down into financial, sexual, intimacy, and cohabitation. And you can actually take a test and they like, you know, grade it to say, well, you like to bond one-to-one emotionally or sexually, but you like to be solo financially. And it's like, we, there's so much gray space that we can play around with and design. And that's again, why I get so pumped about this relationship diversity. It doesn't have to be an all or nothing. It can just be like how, and that's, you can work with someone to look at like, my I want this, my partner wants this. How can we come together so we can both feel expressed and also honor the other person? Absolutely. Wow. This has been so incredible, Carrie. I just love talking with you. Yeah. Now yeah. To, to close, I would love for you to give the audience a few takeaways. So one thing you focused on is helping people learn tools to relate mm-hmm. consciously to their self and others. And to me, this kind of ties into sort of that inception point of people beginning to ask, do I want more? Do I want a different kind of relationship? Cause you can't really do that in an intentional way, as we discussed, one that will you'll grow together, you'll build together. If you're not able to relate in that deeper conscious way with your partner, right? If you're just kind of avoiding things and hiding things from yourself, a lot of the things you're speaking to, Carrie, I thought about, you know, the fact of, wow, those are some of the things I dodged in relationships because it can be scary to be that vulnerable, to let somebody see you fully, to not kind of hide parts of yourself and keep things hidden. You have to really let it all show. So what are some tools for people who are just beginning to consider how they could relate in this conscious way with both themselves and their others, their partner? Well, I think number one is the relationship with self is learning about yourself. And I like to do that through self-care. I define self-care like a self-care practice. People have assumptions that self-care is like going to get a massage, manicure, pedicure, a nice dinner, something like that. But I look at self-care as connection to self, sometimes reconnection to self. That I started a yoga practice in 2017. I was lost. I didn't know I had, I was massively sleep deprived. 
I was taking care of young kids and I didn't know who I was. Okay. So I was completely unconscious in my relationship with myself and it was affecting my relationship with my husband. And so I decided I'm going to start a yoga practice. I'm going to do three sun salutations a day at least minimum. And that takes like three minutes. And I showed up every single day and still to this day, seven years later, I still get on my mat. And that is not about doing yoga. Yes, sometimes it is a physical practice, but it is really about checking in. How am I doing? What is going on with me today? And in the beginning, it was more like, I feel tightness in my chest and I don't know what that is. And just documenting it. This is how I feel. So getting to know yourself. I have a um, self-care course. It is super inexpensive. It will teach you how to come up with a daily practical self-care practice to reconnect with yourself. And I have that on my website. That is, I think, number one. And coming up with the self-care is what you love to do, not what you think you should do. Take the shoulds out of it. Do you love to sing? Take a song and sing that once a day. Go on a walk. Do some sewing, you know, listen to a meditation, a journal, you know, yoga for me, running. It could be whatever it is, as long as it's not, it's something I should do for self-care, but it's something I really want to do. A minimum five-minute practice a day. That connects you with yourself. That is like my number one start. Whenever I start with working with people, I ask them to start self-care every day. And I have them documented. So I've been documenting it. Day one of, of 30, day two of 30 to keep yourself accountable. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that, Carrie. That's a great, a great starting point. Cause again, it's amazing how so many people live very disconnected from their inner world, from their inner self, from, from thinking about how can I honor myself? How can I connect with myself? How can I care for nourish myself? The same way that I would for my child, for my partner, for a pet, an animal. Those are examples I use with my clients who just feel so detached from the idea that they could truly love and care for themselves in a meaningful way and can't see the vital importance of that. So important. I mean, you know, you use like the example that everyone uses when you're on an airplane and the oxygen masks come down. If you don't put it on yourself first, you'll die. And so will the person next to you. So reframing self-care with the belief that I'm worth it. I am worth it. And if I don't love and connect with myself, I will not be able to do it in the most authentic way with another. I will be get I will get in people pleasing, in shoulds in, you know, obligations, which will create resentment as the years continue. Completely. Some completely. So it's really about just sort of really restructuring our, our inner world, our habits. And it sounds like there's, these are sort of the, um, the first steps to take before we're really ready to open to share this sort of conscious relating with others, because we can't mm -hmm. do it if we haven't, how can you connect to someone else's you know, conscious reality, emotions, feelings, if you're not with yours, right? Right. And I do want to say that you don't have to have it all figured out before you connect with someone else. It is a continual process. And I think yeah. lifelong process, this yeah. just that self-care is a way to start. You got to start it. Start yeah. understanding because again, when you get in relationship, you it is important to be able to feel worthy enough to communicate when you're needing something. And when you're wanting something, and if you can't, if you, if you're not connected to yourself and you don't know what that is, then you can't, you can't in a conscious, respectful um, way, communicate your needs to your partner. It will come off passive aggressive or, um, you know, biting or in other ways that are not healthy. Yes. Yes. Well, Carrie, you have shared so much beautiful insight and wisdom with us. I appreciate you so much for being a guest on the show. Thank I'm you. just grateful to have connected with you and to know you because it's it's a beautiful connection we're able to have. And I look forward to collaborating and exploring more together. So Definitely. Carrie, for those of those listening who would like to connect with you, find out about your self 
practice, uh, self-care practice, get on your website. Mm-hmm. How can they find you? Yeah. So everyone can go to either carriejarislow.com or relationshipdiversitypodcast.com. And both of those will take you to the same place where you can connect with me. You can also connect with me through Instagram. Although, you know, I'm following my joy and I'm not always finding joy on social media, but I do love connecting with people through email. I have people email me a lot directly and I love to start that kind of conversation. So you can get to that through relationshipdiversitypodcast.com or carriejarislow.com. Beautiful. Thank you again so much, Carrie. Have a wonderful day. Take care. Thank you. You too. That wraps up our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening to Women Waken. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others and come back for more. If you'd like to connect with the Women Waken community, you can find us on Instagram at Women Waken. And if you follow Women Waken, you can get a free tarot card reading if you just send a DM. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and don't forget to let your unique light shine into this world.